0: Well, open your Bible again to Luke chapter 19. I've entitled this message, A New Creation. You know, the gospel is full of individuals meeting Jesus. It's full of people meeting Christ and responding. In fact, everyone will respond in a certain way when they come face to face. With Jesus Christ, whether it's in the gospel or whether it's today, people will respond. They will respond in different ways to encountering Jesus. And when Jesus meets someone, he's like a surgeon, he's like a, a, a physician. He tends to be able to go right to the root of the problem. He meets a woman by the well. And he says to this woman, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with is not your husband. He meets a a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years and she touches him and the whole crowd has to stop as Jesus spends time listening to her and going to the root of her problem. We heard a few weeks ago about a rich man young man who came to Jesus, all righteous and rich. And Jesus, as a surgeon, as a physician, is able to go down to the root of this man's problem and tells him what he needs to do. You know, this morning, as you sit here, came to church, and it's great to have you worshipping God with us, but as you sit here, wherever your situation is, Christ is able to speak into the root of your situation, whatever it may be. Sometimes he may put a finger on your sin and say, you see that sin you're, you're hiding? I put a finger on it right there. I need you to, to work on that. I need you to repent of that. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes you just need to pour out your heart. To Christ in prayer with weeping and crying and tears. And he will say, I understand that. I sympathize with you in that. Sometimes he might reveal to you that you have taken someone else in your life. You have forsaken your first love. And if something else is taking the place of Christ, sometimes he will receive that, reveal that to you, and put his finger on that and say, You know, I want to deal with you personally. I want to deal with you personally. Well, we come to a story in our, an account in our reading today, and Jesus deals with an individual. And so my first heading this morning then is missing something. We're introduced to this individual. Here he is. we introduced to him. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. We we are introduced to a man called Zacchaeus. You know what his name means? Zacchaeus, his name actually means pure and clean. That's what his name means. But he was everything but pure and clean. But that's what his name means. And Zacchaeus, we understand that he was a tax collector. Not just uh, any tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was on the top of his game. In fact, he was in charge of collecting taxes for a wide area. Wider than Jericho. Now, everyone hated tax collectors in those days because... In those days, the tax collectors were Jewish men. And they were working for the Roman government. And these Jewish men were greedy as well because they would want to cheat in their tax collecting. So, what it used to do is that if, you, if the Romans said that each individual must pay £10 of tax, the Jewish tax collector would charge £15. So he will have something for himself and he will give the government what they're asking for. And so the Jewish people hated the tax collectors because they were cheats and they were robbers and they were making life so difficult. And so tax collectors in those days was hated. You know, not everybody likes paying taxes. Old Donald Trump has been hiding his tax figures for quite a while. Even government officials like avoiding taxes. We don't like paying taxes. But they are a necessary thing to do. But in those days taxes were associated with people. And these tax collectors were hated because they were thieves. They were greedy. And we know that that was true about Zacchaeus because we read later on in our Bible reading, he says himself, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything his own words I have cheated people out of their savings I have cheated people out of their money and so he says in his own testimony, if I have cheated anybody, I will pay it back but the fact is he knows that he was a cheater. I was going to say he knows that he was a scumbag, but that will remind me of something I said last week. (laughs) And so, we have learned about this man, but also we learned something else about this man. We learned that this man, he was short. And because he was short... He could not see over the crowd. He was a short man. Apparently, you can't get into arguments with short people. If you get into arguments with short people, they can be quite aggressive. Like little pit bull terrors, you know, they're little dogs there, they're, they're small but they can bite you. I've got a little dog around where I live. You know, every time a little dog sees me, you know, he keeps on barking at me. And, and it's only a little small thing. I feel like kicking it. But, you know... I shouldn't have it to dog lovers, should I, really? But, you know, it's... You know, little things, you know. And, and, and this man was a short man. And, and you know, I, I, hated, I hated... My son, my son Benjamin, he grew so tall, he was about six foot two, roughly. And every now and again, he'd put his hand on my head... And said to me, Dad, I felt so short. <laughs> but this man was a short man. We've learned that he's a tax collector, chief tax collector. We've learned that he was wealthy because he, he was a con man, he was a cheat, he was a robber. We also learned he was short. But the third thing we've learned about him is this he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Now I have to stop right there. Why should he desire to see Jesus? This man had everything. He, had, he must have had the biggest house in all of Jericho. Because he was wealthy. He must have had a line of horses, stallions in every single color. He must have had chariots all laid outside his home. He must have had clothes, because clothes was a sign of richness in those days. He must have had clothes and turbans in all colors of the rainbow. This man was wealthy and rich. And don't talk about the food. This man must have dined in luxury with food and fine wines every single day. So I asked myself the question, Why, after having all these things, why does he want to see Jesus? He had everything. He had everything, but something was still missing. He had everything, but... There was still something in his life that these things could not fulfill. The big house and the chariots and the stallions and the fine clothes and the fine food and wine. It still left something in him that wasn't satisfied. Something was empty within him and so he wanted to see Jesus. There's a man, great actor, he's quite wealthy himself, you will know his face when you see it. His name is Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey said this, I think everybody should be rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. This man says, I wish everyone was rich. I wish everyone can do everything they could Dream of and be famous. Then they will realize he says that is not the answer. I've been recently listening to the life of Robin Williams. You know, those of us who are old enough can remember Robin Williams in Mork and Mindy. The younger people are thinking, who on earth is Mork and Mindy? But those of us who are old enough can remember Mork and Mindy. We love his voice in the Aladdin. And who can forget his dancing with a hoover in Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, great actor, extremely talented, Oscars, fame, money. You couldn't want to be on the top of your game as he was, but he suffered from drugs and alcohol abuse, and he died of a plastic bag over his head. Suicide. he had everything and yet he died alone, depressed and totally sad. You know Kim and I we um, went on our honeymoon some years ago and a friend invited us over to the Caribbean. And he said, come over, I'll I'll sort you out with accommodation, just get your flight. So we got a flight, and we went on British Airways, and we flew over to uh, the Caribbean. And um, we landed in Anguilla, but we were going to Antigua. No, other way. (laughs) Thank you, Kim. We landed in Anguilla. We landed in Antigua. I don't even remember where I got my honeymoon. We landed in Antigua, which is a bigger island, and we flew into Anguilla, which is a little, small, tiny island out there. So we landed in um, Antigua and got, got off this big um, British Airways plane and we walked over to the plane that would take us over to this island. And man, I was scared when I saw the plane. It was one of those plastic planes, you know, that you wind up. You know, you see a little black guy winding it all up, getting it ready to take off. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to get on that plane? And sure enough, I was on that plane flying over the sea and I was watching the propellers going round. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm praying I don't want to stop flying and going round. But we landed in Anguilla and, and we, we, we went there and, and we saw a church. And, and on this church there was um, some words written on the on the wall, on the outside of this church. The church was painted pink, by the way. Strange colour. But on the words, on the wall had these words. Oh, pop these words on there. Did we get the words on here? Our heart is restless. Uh, we might not, we're not we might have missed that word. But anyway, these are the words that was on the um, the wall. Our hearts are restless. Until they find its rest in you. That's by a famous man called Augustine. He says this, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. What does he mean? He means this. Our lives can be so restless, always moving forward, always wanting the next thing. Always wanting the, the nicer house or the bigger car, always wanting the fine clothes or the fine rest. We always seem to be wanting something else. It seems that our hearts are restless, wanting and looking for things in life to fill it and to achieve and to make our life something. But the, the Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find its rest in God. Always reaching out for more. Always wanting stuff. Always wanting more material things to be added on into our lives. But our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, we have a question. The question in this Confession of Faith, the shorter catechism, says this. What is... The chief end of man. In other words, what is the chief aim of man? What is his chief aim? Is his aim maybe to, um, you know, to get as much fame and fortune as he possibly can have? Well, we look at Hollywood and we see marriages in Hollywood. They don't last very long, it seems to me, in Hollywood. Five and ten years, and before you know it, they're all over and done. That's not the answer. Getting things into our life. Some people think my chief aim is to get to the cradle and to the grave and to get there without no tears. That is not going to be possible. Most people think that their aim in life is just to muddle on through. Just to muddle day by day, year by year, new year after new year, something takes place Anniversary after anniversary until we just die at the end. And that's the end. And some people think that that their purpose and their aim is just to muddle on through. And so the question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is this. The answer is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end. What the catechism is saying is this. Man's chief aim is to glorify God because God created you. God made you. God fashioned you in the womb. God called you and caused you to be created in his own image. And God says, I am your joy. Man's chief end or aim is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You know, I have a set of keys. And um, I have a car key. I have um, two keys to get into the church building. I have a key to my front house. And I have the key to my mother's house. Because you can't come down the stairs when I knock on the door. So I've got the keys to my mother's house. Those keys... Unlock doors in my world. But my keys cannot unlock anything in your life. Nothing, can these, these keys are useless to unlock anything. I cannot go into your car, into your house with my set of keys. They are useless. And God is saying this, I have created you as, as, as uh, that, that only I can unlock the joy that's in your life. No other key. You can bring in another key. You can bring in gold keys and diamond keys and big keys and small keys. But I want to say to you, says God, I am the only key that can truly unlock happiness and joy and fulfillment and contentment in your life. Only I, I have made you for myself. That's what God says. And Jesus cries out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. I love that. Anyone is thirsty. We all get thirsty, you know. And Jesus cries out, anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and I will give him something to drink. Zacchaeus had everything and yet he wanted to see Jesus. Jesus. Okay, let's move on to finding someone. So we find him being very short. He climbs up a tree. It must have been a strange sight to see Zacchaeus climbing up a tree. You know, all the children probably are up the tree. And there comes this man with a big beard and a bald head. and Fine clothes. Climbing a tree. You see, he knew that Jesus was going to pass that way. But what he wasn't expecting, what caught him by surprise, was the first words that came out of Jesus' mouth. What are the first words? Zacchaeus. There are hundreds of people around Jesus. They're all hustling and bustling him. They're all around and Jesus is in the middle and he's smiling and he's laughing and he's walking towards um, um, Jerusalem and he's going through Jericho and there's this little man that no one can see and and the people say that he's a sinner. Horrible man. And here he is, he runs down the road, he climbs up a tree and he's there looking out and then Jesus stopped at his tree and the first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth shocks him and surprises him. What is the first word? Zacchaeus. Jesus knew the man's name. Zacchaeus. I know you, your name means pure and clean, but Zacchaeus, I know your name. I know that you're not clean. And I know that you're not pure. But I'm calling you Zacchaeus. I know you. You know a few months ago. There was a horrible murder in England. And an Asian man. Killed his wife. And fled over to. Pakistan. He went there. The first thing he did. Was that he changed his name. Didn't want anyone to know who he was. But Jesus. Knew this man. By name. He knew his character. He knew that he was a thief. He knew that he was an unclean man. He knew that this man, as I said to you before, Jesus can deal with individuals, and without them others knowing, Jesus can go down to the root of the man's situation. And he knew that this man was not clean. was very impure. May I say this morning that Jesus knows your name. He knows the tears that you have cried and shed. He knows the pain and the sorrow that only you know the depth of. He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows the sin that lurks and crouches around outside your door. He knows the sin that sometimes you hide or sometimes you cuddle, sometimes you hold dear. He knows it. He knows your name. He knows your hypocrisy. He knows that sometimes you pretend to be something that you're not. He knows your hypocrisy. He knows your name. He knows your weakness. He knows that sometimes you haven't got a lot of strength. He knows your failings. He knows you by name. And instead of walking past you, instead of saying, I don't need to get to know him, instead of doing that, Jesus stops at your tree this morning. He stops at your address this morning. He stops at your house this morning. He stops at your door this morning and he calls you by name. I'm not walking past that tree, Zacchaeus. I'm not going throughout Jericho without stopping, Zacchaeus. I'm speaking to you even though I know that you are a filthy, sinful tax collector I'm stopping at your tree and I'm calling you by name. Someone say praise God. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't walk past Zacchaeus' tree. That even though he was a wicked man, Christ calls him by name. Well, what else do we read? Well, we read this. He calls him by name. And he says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. That's so wonderful. Jesus could have stayed at anybody else's home. But he stayed at Zacchaeus' house. But what's more important is this. The verse that links this, these words with another verse in the Bible. Jesus says to him, I must come down and I must stay at your house then we move into Revelation and we read these words. Here I stand, he says. I stand at the door and knock. anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says in Revelation, what he was doing in Luke's gospel, he called down a sinner from the tree and said, I must come to your house today. And now in Revelation, he said to sinners again, I'm standing outside your door. And I want you to open up the doors of your life. And when you do, I will come in and I will sit down with you. And we will have fellowship with one another. I will eat with you. And you with me. And Jesus says, that's what I'm saying to my church today. I'm not saying this to Christians, but I'm saying it to sinners. Open your door. I'm coming in. And when I come in, I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to have fellowship with you. You think yourself, how on earth can the Son of God have fellowship with a sinful, doesn't he know my sin? Doesn't he know my hypocrisy? Doesn't he know my my, my brokenness? Doesn't he know my life? How can the Son, pure, living God, come and sit down in my life? But Jesus said, yes, I know all of these things. And I'm coming in. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Let me just wrap this sermon up with my final heading. Finding someone, to, the final thing I'm going to say now is changing everything. Jesus now sits down and Zacchaeus responds to Jesus knocking. We read that He came down at once. Didn't make a call to his home and say, hey wife, could you make sure everything's clean? He came down at once. Didn't think to himself, oh crumbs, did I tidy up before Jesus is going to come to my house? Did I make sure everything was sweet? No, he came down at once and welcomed Jesus into the house just as he was. Can I just say this to you? You don't have to tidy your life up before you come to Christ, you know. You come just as you are. Praise God, and He comes in. And so he Zacchaeus comes down, and, and he opens the door to Jesus, and, and he, he prepares a table for Jesus, and, and, and he's sitting down, and here's Christ at his table. People on the outside are muttering; they're complaining, they're saying he's going to be a guest at a house of a sinner. But here's this sinner sitting with the son of God having a meal. But because Jesus has now entered into this man's life look at the transformation. Because Jesus has entered into this man's house into his world Into his life. Look at the transformation. We read it, here, his own words. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, without no prompting from God, Jesus didn't say to him, Zacchaeus, sell everything and did this, did this. Jesus didn't say anything. Jesus just entered into the man's life. And so now Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow. I hope that blind Bartimaeus, he was our last week's story, he got his eyes open, didn't he, remember? Poor Bartimaeus was poor. Poor Bartimaeus had rags. I hope that he heard. Zacchaeus crying out, I want to give half my possessions to the poor. He must say, hey, I'm over here. I need a home. I'm sure Bartimaeus got a home and some clothes. Thank you, John, for that insight. But here we have a change. When Christ comes into a person's life, listen to me now. When Christ comes into somebody's life, everything changes. It may not happen all at once, but the way you speak changes. Your attitude changes. Your view with money changes. Your relationship with people changes. Everything undergo a change when Christ comes into your life. Listen to what Jesus says. He says this. Jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house. For, this son, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation came to this man's house. Because not only did he receive Christ in. But the evidence of him receiving Christ. Was an outward display of a change. That was it. The evidence A woman being changed by the coming of Christ in their life must be evidenced by what is seen on the outside. Don't tell me that you're born again if you're exactly the same person as you was before. Don't tell me that you know Christ If you carry and you are exactly the same man, exactly the same woman as you were five years ago, three years ago, if you are exactly the same, don't tell me you're born again, because when Christ comes in, there's going to be a change. And the reason why there's going to be a change, because he came to seek and to save the lost. My final verse is this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ there are a new praise God If anyone is in Christ they are a new creation The old has gone behold the new has come Praise God That's what happened Hallelujah that what happened to Zacchaeus that man full of sin that man full of corruption that man greedy that man who was a crook that man who had so much because he stole from so many because Christ came in the old was gone behold the new has come my dear friends Whatever your situation is now, you may be Christian. I'm, I'm, let, me talk to the, let me talk to the Christians here. You are Christians. You love the Lord. But there's things in your life that the Lord's put a finger on, and He's saying, I am come to change that. Let me into the house. Let me come and sit at the head of your table. And as you do so, you will see things wonderfully and drastically change in your life. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, gracious, wonderful, loving Savior, thank you for not walking past any one of our houses today. Thank you for not walking past any one of us. But even though we are loading, laden down with with weaknesses and sin, and even Elements of hypocrisy is in our hearts, even though we are laden down with stuff, Lord. Thank you for not walking by, but thank you for calling us by name and wanting to enter into our home, into our lives, and change us, that we might be more like Christ. May every door, Lord, may there be a a creaking going on, in the church today, may every door be swung wide open today, Lord. For we know that no other key can open our lives except the key that comes from you. No other one can fit the empty hole, the barrenness that's there except for you. And so we open up our lives wide. Say, so Come in, Lord. Sit down, Lord. Be my Savior. Be my King. Be my Captain. Be my Governor. Be Lord of my life. Sit down, O oh God. May that be our prayer. For Jesus' sake. Amen. understand